Welcome, everyone. So are you tired of the same old ways of seeing things? Well, you've come to the right place. Here, we cut through the world of surface appearances and look for the light that's rare in the depths. Here, we dive into the dark waters where, where strange creatures move. Here, we're free to be that foolish knight who lunges at windmills and who lights up the world with his magical vision. It's all too much, says George Harrison. That's true, but all the more reason to jump into it and intoxicate yourself with life's infinite profusion. After all, you don't discover new lands by sticking close to the shore, do you? This is the wisdom of, and coming up today, Jung and the Stages of Life. Occasionally dropped hints over here at uh, Wisdom of that at some of our extracurricular activities, uh, activities that fall outside of, but are sometimes tangentially connected to the Wisdom of industrial complex. There's one that you never really want me to talk about. It's our uh, ongoing practice of uh, Turkish oil wrestling. It's a it's an ancient greasy sport. If you don't know, look it up. And I really think it's poised for a 21st century resurgence. Strangely, though, you're far more apt to, to let me talk about various uh, script writing projects that uh, we're working on. Perfect timing for today's episode. We are actually developing a new script as we speak, using the new and exciting tools of AI. So basically, all we had to do was come up with a title and let uh, the computer do all the work for us. So here we go. We came up with a great title, Young at Heart. Young being, of course, J-U-N-G. You know, get it? Pretty clever. So after doing all that hard work, AI went to work and spit out uh, a fantastic tale that will surely be in theaters very, very soon. Here we go. So it opens on the Soviet Union, we see the pickled head of Joseph Stalin. Cut to North America. I wanted to say Canada, but apparently most countries won't watch a movie that takes place in Canada. So we'll say United States. We see an intrepid university professor. He's kind of like uh, Indiana Jones meets uh, a certain rulemaking author named, well... This might get us uh, a little bit sued. Uh, our character's name is Dr. Porden Jeterson. We might need to tweak that. But like I said, this all takes place in the Cold War, and there are two things that Dr. Jeterson can't stand, communism and a balanced diet. Now, trust me, these things are going to work together. They're going to dovetail perfectly. So long story short, Jeterson's all-beef diet. Like this guy, he was consuming up to three cows in a week. All this has left his heart valves dangerously closed. Like, he went to his doctor, a, a totally normal, not-at-all-crazy doctor, and this doctor told him the Widowmaker heart attack is on the horizon. But 
he also leans in and he whispers, I've heard tell of a solution. The thing is, those Soviets, remember those guys from the beginning with Joseph Stalin's head? They have been assembling the best of all human parts to resurrect said pickled brain of Joseph Stalin, to kind of uh, Frankenstein him back to rule the world. The Soviets have already gotten a hold of Winston Churchill's liver and apparently Marilyn Monroe's gams. I think that's old-timey for legs, but I'm not totally sure. I don't know why their AI is using a 50s lingo, but that's neither here nor there. But to truly make this new creation work, they need a heart, but not just any heart, Carl Jung's heart. There is no way that Dr. Jordan Peterson, sorry, Dr. Porden Jeterson, is going to let Young's heart into some commie hands, besides the fact that he currently is in need of a new ticker himself. And where better should it be? Uh, other than Carl, I guess, but forget that. If Porden has it, for sure, this would be game-changing. He could make more and more lists. Forget 12. He'd have 24, 36, or dare I say, 48 rules for all of us to live by. He'd be rejuvenated. Porden Jeterson would be young at heart. So now, I don't really want to spoil the ending, but I think based on advanced notes I got from what you're going to talk about, about something about Carl Jung and his stages of life, I think Dr. Jeterson is going to learn some sort of lesson about the stages of life, that being young at heart maybe is not necessarily the greatest way of going about things. And who says AI only spits out standardized stuff? I mean, there's something really authentic sounding about this script, isn't there? It really does sound like it was written by some uh, real-life, singular, demented person. Okay, so if you still happen to be listening, let's uh, get right into today's episode. So, in 1931, Jung wrote an essay called The Stages of Life. And in it, he talks about there being four stages to life. They are childhood, youth, middle age, and old age. Now. Although this essay is packed with insight at each stage, in this episode, I just want to focus in on the last two stages, middle and old age, because uh, I'm assuming that that might be somewhat more of the, uh, of the podcast's demographic, and so of most interest here. Okay, well, so according to Jung, the midlife stage happens around 40. After all, this is about the midway point of the average life. This is, as Jung says, when the sun reaches its highest point, but then begins to make its descent. Now, this is often a, a difficult time for people. It's what's known as the, uh, the midlife crisis. Something, by the way, that Jung was one of the very first psychological thinkers to discern and to discuss in some detail. You see, for Jung, part of the problem attendant on midlife transition is that what most of us don't realize, or don't want to accept, is that there are activities and goals that are good to pursue in the mornings of our lives, but not so much in the afternoon. The second half of life, in other words, calls for a different set of priorities than the first half does. As uh, Ecclesiastes tells us, 
for everything there is a season. Or, as Jung himself says, we simply cannot live the afternoon of life according to the program of life's morning. So, while the first half of life involves a lot of social activity and ego-building and the pursuit of uh, professional goals, these are not the sorts of things that should dominate in the sunset period of life. No, what should take priority here are things like like a concern for family and for future generations, and more spiritual and less materialistic and ego-driven goals. And uh, ideally, what should start to take place here is also something called individuation, not to be confused with the earlier project of individualization. And I'll get to that in a moment. But anyway, to, to go back to this idea of for everything there is a season, you see, for, for Jung, there is something just plain inappropriate about trying to live like an eternal adolescent when you're older. It's a delusion to think that the second half of life should be governed by the principles of the first. But the sad, lamentable truth is this. It's that in our culture, the older spend the second half of their life competing with the young. As Jung says... The father wants to be the brother of his son, and the mother the sister of her daughter. But uh, however hard the older try, it's hard to get around the plain fact that what was true in the morning of their lives will at its evening have become a lie. Okay, well, another reason that Jung gives for the uh, typical midlife crisis is this. It's that many of us, by the time we turn 40, we have mistaken our accomplishments with our personality or our character. Okay, well, so what does that mean? Well, what he means is that so many nearing midlife identify themselves with the social position that they've won and the achievements that they've accrued, which society rewards. And so, they think that everything is perfect and complete with themselves, and that as they step into the second half of their lives, they can just cling to and proceed with things as they have been. And so they think that the second half of their life is going to be an entirely settled and uh, perfect state. But what most people tend not to understand, though, says Jung, is that societal position and accomplishment comes at the cost of the diminution of personality. So, really, most people stepping over into midlife, what they don't realize is that they're proceeding without the kind of developed character they should be concentrating on and require in the afternoon of their life. What they should understand is that they need to recenter their life around new values. Values having to do with character and with uh, spirituality and with culture. Ones that have been neglected because of the earlier focus on extroverted and materialistic interests and pursuits. Pursuits that were necessary then, but uh, less so now. No, now is the time to direct attention to and begin to cultivate one's inner being, so to speak. As, uh, as Jung says... The afternoon of life is just as full of meaning as the morning, only its meaning and purpose are different. Actually, it's interesting. Given the prevalence of the uh, midlife crisis, 
this difficulty to adapt to a new stage and to new values. Jung says that maybe it's a good idea to start up a a college curriculum for 40-year-olds, where the goal of the course would be to help them to learn how to grow old fully and gracefully. I mean, it sounds like a good idea, right? After all, we do it for young adults at college to prepare them for the world, so so why not for for middle-aged people who are about to embark on the second half of their life with all of its changes and unknown demands and uh, potentialities? Okay, well, this takes us to the the next stage of life, old age. So what does uh, Jung have to say here? Well, before I get into some of the details there, I should mention that Jung does say that longevity does have some evolutionary meaning. In other words, we wouldn't grow so old if being older didn't, in one way or another, serve the human species as a whole. As as Jung himself says, the afternoon of human life must also have a significance of its own and cannot be merely a pitiful appendage to life's morning. But here's the thing. This is something that we don't often acknowledge or appreciate in our culture today, right? In a culture which hyper-exaggerates youthful qualities, we tend to see aging as an incurable disease and we tend to ignore or adopt a, a negative attitude towards the elderly. But we shouldn't. The elderly have lived long lives, and so they can be indispensable dispensers of cultural heritage and deep sources of wisdom. Okay, but that said, so what does Jung have to say about growing old for the person that that is happening to? How are we to face and enter into the the sunset of our lives? Well, this is where Jung often talks about this idea of uh, individuation. So, the idea here is that when we get older, we should strive to let go of our very narrow ego, the one that served us practically in, in many ways up until now, and instead let it recede and make way for a much larger sense of self, one that's constituted by, by much bigger unconscious forces. A, a self, you might say, that, that integrates or does justice to the entire psyche and its various aspects, not just to the ego that's narrowly practical and social. Or you might think of it this way. For Jung, this self, which is the product of individuation, is the retrieval and the formation of that larger circle that envelops the very small and insignificant dot that is our ego. Okay, so now, how is all this connected to, uh, to old age and death? Well, having attained this uh, larger self, you might say that it's now easier to die for this person. And that's because this sort of person is not some isolated and narrow and uh, practical ego fighting to hang on to life. But due to their process of individuation, they're now someone pretty much submerged in the unconscious. And so, to sink into it and to vanish forever is as natural as ever. Actually, Jung compares this uh, deep immersion into these larger unconscious forces with the psychic state of early childhood. 
That's to say, very old people are like infants in the sense that they have become unconscious again. And so, again, like infants, they're no longer plagued by the narrow consciousness concerned with death. Actually, even though it's implied in the uh, individuation process, I should quickly mention the role of religion here for Jung. You see, I think Jung believes that to believe in, say, uh, an afterlife is, is useful, even though one can never be certain of its truth. It's useful in the sense that it at least softens the blow and gives us the hope that we need to make that final transition. And uh, actually, I don't think it has to be just religion in particular. I think he would say that philosophy or mythology too can help with that transition. There just needs to be a goal or a point in death. As uh, Jung himself says, I am convinced that it is hygienic to discover in death a goal towards which one can strive. Now, that's the key. Ultimately, it's to stay in touch with our psychic life and to the insights it gives us when it comes to our ultimate destination. Listening to the Wisdom of Podcast. If you want to know more about this topic or the podcast in general, visit wisdomofpod.com 